So we're going to get into it today. Hey, you know what? You look wonderful. Yeah, and you're really nice. And it was so brave of you to come to church today. Is it working? Is it working? You feel, do you feel good? We're talking about being generous with your words today, and I'm excited about it. And guess what? Just so you know, that didn't cost me anything. I said all those things. I still have $30 in my pocket. I still, um, it didn't hurt me. It didn't, it didn't cost anything. And you're all smiling. It's so easy. We're gonna learn how to do it today. Are you ready? Stand to your feet. Matthew chapter 16. I'm gonna read this scripture and you're gonna scratch your head and look at your neighbor and say, what's this got to do with anything? But uh, we're gonna take this journey together. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna start in verse 6, 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, we thank you this morning. Transform the way we think. God, we pray that encouragement will come freely from our lips. Help us to bring peace to the people around us with what we say. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Hey, just look at your neighbor and say, man, you know what? You're really nice and I like your shirt. Go ahead and do that right now. Look at him and say, man, you're really nice. That's a wonderful shirt. This passage is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. That's a fancy word for saying Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They, um, the three different takes on the same events. And, but Matthew's account is the only one that records Jesus' comments after Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Matthew records what Jesus says after that, and that's why we're looking at this. The disciples and Jesus had just come from an area where unbelief was rampant and skepticism, and they're walking into a place called Caesarea Philippi, and and they would have passed this, this temple that was built into this cliff, this giant rock cliff that had a cave at the bottom of it. And it was significant because... Philip the Tetrarch had built a temple there above the, above the cave to, to Caesar, to the Caesar. And so that's how it was come, commonly come to know as Caesarea Philippi. Philip the Tetrarch built a temple to Caesar. In that cliff, they, they carved out niches and put 
put statues of gods in those niches. And so, and so they would have been walking past this and Jesus, like he was so good at doing, would have taken the opportunity, something that was common every day, took the opportunity to then teach. And so you can imagine them passing by this, this temple and, and with all these uh, statues of gods and Jesus looking at the disciples and saying, who do people say that I am? Almost in the context, you know what, you know what all these are. It's common culture to know who do people say that I am? And you hear some responses. You hear some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Jeremiah. You can imagine the disciples just chiming in one at a time. Hey, this is who they say you are. This is who they say you are. This is who they say you are. And then Jesus switches it and says, who do you say that I am? Now, we all love Peter. Because now Peter becomes the the unvoted for spokesperson of the whole group. It doesn't say that they got together and came up with an answer like, like on the final round of um, family feud. It says that Peter just says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now what's significant about this is the first time these type of words have come out of Peter's mouth. It's not necessarily the first time that they thought them. Matter of fact, when Peter and and the other disciples were called, when Jesus called them to follow him, we remember Peter's brother coming to Peter saying, Hey, listen, we think we found the guy. Now, how many of you have been married 20, let's say 10 to 20 years, somewhere around that area? Okay. Oh, a lot of you. This is great. How many of you remember when you first got married, you didn't, you, you were married, but you didn't understand? Anybody brave enough to admit married, but just didn't? How many of you then would say, I've been married, I've been married 23 years and I would be slow to raise my hand if my wife was here, but she's not. Um, I would say there's still things about it. I don't understand. Can I get an amen? It's possible to acknowledge the truth, but not understand it. Is that correct? I know that gravity works. I don't know how, but I know if I jump off the top of this building, it's going to hurt really bad when I land. So what you have here is you have a proclamation from Peter. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet not fully recognizing what that meant. Peter wasn't enlightened to the point where he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus would have to suffer and die and go to the cross and resurrect on the third day. It wasn't, it wasn't in the front of Peter's thoughts that he would say, oh, you're the Christ. That means you got to die. He could proclaim Jesus as being the Christ, but not really understand what that meant. Jesus' response to Peter is awesome. Jesus says, Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. Matter of fact, the only way you got this was from my my father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but any red-blooded human male, we love compliments. I, I thought you would say a little more hearty, yeah. Could you imagine? Now, over the, over the centuries since this happened, the millennia since this has happened, 
This conversation has been a lot of theological debate. Did Jesus really mean Peter? Did he mean symbolically on a rock? The idea of Christ, of Jesus being the Christ. Did he mean he was going to build his church on the idea of that? Or did he really mean that Peter was going to lead the church? Did he? What did he really mean? Well, I can tell you, Peter heard these words. There were no Christian philosophers back then debating in front of Peter what it meant. Peter heard this. Put yourself standing there beside Jesus and this is what you hear. You did not come up with this on your own. My father in heaven has given you this revelation. And on this revelation, I will build my church. I will give you the keys of heaven. The keys to the kingdom. And on whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Could you imagine Peter hearing that for the first time? Could you imagine him walking by the other disciples? Y'all heard what he said? Get in line. The gates of hell will not prevail against me. They, we can't be defeated. Did you just hear what he said? And in his best T.D. Jake's voice, he looked at him and said, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Could you imagine the life infused in Peter at that moment? Now, we've had thousands of years of debate whether Jesus meant really Peter or meant son. I don't care. He said it in front of the man. He said it in front of him. If he didn't mean it, don't say it. I can imagine. Could you imagine Peter waking up that day just thinking it's going to be like every other day? It's like, oh, uh, I mean, we're going to walk around. Jesus is going to do some things, preach some stuff. I had no idea that Jesus was going to say that to him. No idea that midway through his day, he's going to get this unbelievable jolt of encouragement that could change the trajectory of his life. A few simple words that Jesus says to him. On this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Whatever, I'll give you the keys to the whole deal. It's like you're 16 years old and your dad tossed you the keys to the, to the station wagon. Bring it back clean. Put a bookmark there. There's a book that was written years ago that I recommend to everybody getting married. And if you haven't read it and you're already married, uh, it's probably why your marriage isn't that good. You should read it. Simple book, you can read it in a day or two. It's called The Five Love Languages. I recommend it. It's not a fix-all. I, I, I read that about six years into our marriage, and I was like, I'm a flaming idiot. Here's the simple premise of the book. Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the book, and they've got five love languages for kids, five love languages for people you hate, five love languages for... I mean, it's really universal. You can apply it to all kinds of people. And when you start realizing people's love languages, you go, oh, this is, this is like another dimension. So what happens is he, he writes in the book that there are five basic ways people give and receive love. If I'm going to give you love, it's going to be a certain way. It's going to be done in one of these five ways. And if I, the way I understand love, it's going to be one of these five ways. So here, here they are. You ready? 
words of affirmation. You know what that means? Kelly, that's an awesome shirt, man. That is, a good, that is a good shirt. Kelly does all of our tech stuff here. Kelly said, and uh, every now and then I'll, I'll look at Kelly and I go, man, this is better than I ever imagined it would be. This is amazing. And he'll come to me and he'll ask me something. And I'll say, Kelly, I trust you. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't spend any money. <laughs> I don't say that. Words of affirmation. Telling some, somebody you appreciate them. Telling them you're thankful for what they've done. Words of affirmation. So this, there's, there's four more. None of those matter. No. There's four more. There is um, acts of service. Which means... That you, you, uh, you like people to do things for you. You like people to, like, oh, you took out the trash. That was so nice. I didn't even have to ask. Oh, you thought about me. You, you, you added a three-bedroom addition on our house. It's amazing. I didn't even have to ask. <laughs> now people are like, preach. Um, so it's acts of service. If you see somebody constantly offering to do something for you, it may be their love language. Hey, no, no, I'll take care of that. No, I'll take care of it. I could do that. Acts of service. So where are we? We got words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time. Every husband's worst nightmare. That means you cannot be watching the TV and talking to your wife. Turn it. Off. But ladies, if on the rare occasion that your husband does want to talk to you, get off of Facebook. It is not, it is, it is not a good way to communicate. Quality time is when we sit down and we look at each other and we have a conversation. It's when, you're, it's, it's when you're walking down the path and you're holding hands and, and neither of you have earbuds in. You're just you're talking, you're sharing. It's quality time. Okay, so we got three of them down. So then physical touch. Somewhere in here. Physical touch. It does not just mean that. It means hugs and, and holding hands and back rubs and, and, and all those things and, and messing with your hair. Don't do that. That's... So I can tell you, I can, I can already tell you, our kids are totally different in this. My, first, my firstborn is just like me. She's, she's been a fist bump since she was like six months old. Maybe that's why she turned out that way, but... Uh, my middle daughter figured out that I don't need hugs and don't really, I got to be careful, don't really want to hug people. But um, so she will hang on me. She goes back from school, from college. She's like hanging on me like, dad. And I'm just standing here like, I don't know what you're doing. Get off of me and tell me I'm great. I don't, I don't know why we got to do this. You always make it awkward. My my son is, is kind of the same way. He always, he always hugs people and, and, and he's affectionate in that way. So you can see it in people. If people always, you know, like I'm a hugger. If somebody says that, they're probably uh, physical touch people. 
And so then, um, do I have four? I've already got four gifts. You ever met the person at Christmas? Like, no, we have to buy everybody a gift. It's only 700 people. We have to get everybody a gift. And so if you, if that's your mentality, you love getting gifts. You're like, oh, you thought about me. You really love me. You're like, you know, got them a cup holder or something. They're just like overwhelmed. So five of them, what Gary Chapman says is you typically have two primary, two of those are your primary love languages, two of them. So I'm not a mathematician, but two out of five is 40%. So the chances that words of affirmation are one of those love languages, 40%. So look around and go, oh. 40% of the people in here, the way that by nature they give and receive love is with words of affirmation. So 40% of the people in this room, 100% of me, give and receive love by words of affirmation. So so I I tell people all the time, if you disrespect me, I don't don't need anything else. It's done. Words of affirmation. If if you're going to disrespect me that way, then forget my other love language. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Give me a compliment or get out. So um, (laughs) some of you are like, oh, this is so real. So here's what I know. 40% of you give love and receive love that way. But here's what I also know. 100% of you are affected by negative words. Hundred, It's across the board. Now, I know we were taught as little kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words whenever. That is so false. Words hurt every time. We just build up an immunity to them and we just push through them. It's not that they don't hurt. That song should be saying, six and stones will break my bones. Words hurt, but I'm not going to let them stop me. That would be more accurate. Because I don't care who you are. If somebody says something negative to you, to, negative to you enough, it hurts. Amen? All right. We're all clear on that. So what happens in this context is Peter says something and Jesus responds to it immediately. Jesus doesn't go, "Mm, I need to think about that a little bit, Peter. Jesus responds to what Peter says in the moment. And if we're going to be generous with our words today, If we're going to be generous with the way we do things, we need to be able to be generous in the moment. Now, I need to show you in your brain what being encouraging with your word does. Watch this. And this lines up with scripture so well. There's a book written called, uh, it's called Words Can Change Your Brain by uh, a couple people, Newberg and Waldman. Words can change your brain. Literally. Positive words such as peace and love can alter the expression of genes strengthening areas in our frontal lobes and promoting the brain's cognitive functioning. They propel the motivational centers of the brain into action and build resiliency. They say encouraging words actually cause you to think better. Kelly, that's a great shirt. It says 
when we compliment or bring peaceful words to people, it actually causes their prefrontal cortex to fire and, and to not fire like the millennial version of fire, like fire, but, but do the synopsis thing and cause you to think better, cause you to reason better, cause you to be more rational. That's why every time an angel showed up to anyone, he went, peace be with you. I know I'm a big dude glowing and hovering over your bed with a sword strapped to my back, but don't let that bother you right now. I need you to think about this. So he's looking, the angel Gabriel's looking at Mary and Joseph going, don't freak out. I need you to think through this. So when we give peaceful words to people, it affects those areas of our brain that can help us think more rationally. Now watch this. However, a single negative word can increase the activity in our amygdala, the fear center of our brain. This releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which in turn interrupts our brain's functioning. This is especially, this is especially with regard to logic, reason, and language. Angry words send alarm messages through the brain, and they partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the frontal lobes. Now watch this. That's why we say crazy stuff when we're angry. That's why people hear crazy stuff when we're angry. And when you say crazy stuff and they hear crazy stuff, it perpetuates the system. So, scripture tells us that literally, okay, we just, we just read that out of a book. Scientific fact that peaceful words, encouraging words can make you think better and angry words, I didn't say correction, we'll get to that. Angry words or negative words can cause you to think poorly. And Proverbs tells us that the power of life and death is in. Are you thinking? The power of life and death is in the tongue. You can actually make people think better. By saying peaceful things to them, to saying encouraging things to them. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt, corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church. He's saying, listen, don't, don't have corrupt talk. Build people up. Build each other up. So what's all this have to do with Jesus and Peter? You got that bookmark? Let's go back to the scripture. Jesus was generous in the moment. Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools dies for, but a fool die for lack of sense. Proverbs 15, 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? Proverbs 15, 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crashes or crushes the spirit. Here's the problem. The problem is we stopped at verse 20. That's why you need to read the whole story. We stopped at verse 20. Verse 21 says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, who he just complimented and told him he was giving them the keys to the kingdom and whatever he bound on earth would be bound in heaven, whatever he loose on earth would be loose on heaven. That same Peter, 
That same Peter like, hey, bro, you got it. That same guy. Now, super confident of himself and his abilities, says this. He takes him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You just told me whatever I bound on earth, I could bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth could be loose in heaven. And I'm pulling you aside saying you're not going to die. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) When I read that, I realized that Jesus complimented Peter knowing that Peter was going to screw it up. Now, If there's some perfectionists in the room, this next few minutes is going to be really difficult for you. Any Enneagram ones in the building, moral perfectionists, um, this is a, this, this will crush your spirit, but it is the spirit of the Lord that is, you're going to take on. So, so follow me through with this. You need to compliment people when the complimentable thing is happening. Don't wait for it to pass in fear that they're going to do something else. Don't wait for it to pass in fear that they're going to mess it up later. Peter told Jesus, don't go to the cross. That's stupid. Peter said, you're not thinking with the mind of God. He just had told him the father revealed this to you. And now he's saying, you're not thinking with that head anymore. You're thinking just about yourself. Get behind me, Satan. Peter would later go on while Jesus was on trial With an eye shot of Jesus, Peter would deny he ever even knew him. And yet, when Peter says the right thing, Jesus says, that's the right thing. Too often times we hold a compliment because we're afraid the person's going to screw up later. That, could it be possible that the compliment could keep them from screwing up? Some of you perfectionists like, I, I can't, I can't give them a compliment. I can't give them a compliment. They didn't iron their pants today. They didn't, they didn't get up on time. They did, there's 15 things that they didn't do right. Yep. True. Absolutely 100% true. And you take the party out of everything. Because what I realized was Jesus loved us enough that he would die for us. Forget just complimenting us. He would die for us in order to peace and life fill us. He would do that before we were ever could know to do anything right. Compliment people in the moment. Just unlock your teeth and say, good job. That's it. With the knowledge that the next thing they do may be terrible. Compliment them anyway. If it was good in that moment, it was good. Don't wait. Generosity means we do it in the time of the uh, lifespan of the opportunity. It means we're going to do it when it happens. And Jesus didn't go, oh, you know what? Jeez, I'd love to recognize that you said that. But in a little while, you're going to say something really dumb. So I'm going to hold back. No, what you said was absolutely true. The only way you found that out was through the Father. And I'm going to build my church on you. 
all your flaws, all your recklessness, all you trying to cut people's heads off when I'm getting arrested. I'm going to build my church on that. Can you imagine Peter standing up later and said, man, there was that one time I was with Jesus and I swung my sword at that guy. Good for him, I missed. Jesus knew all that stuff. Yeah, he chose to compliment him anyway. You have to give the compliment when the compliment is due. Be generous in the moment. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 15, 23 again. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? We need to be people that are timely with compliments. People that are timely with encouragement. We have a million ways that you can send people a message right now. A million ways to encourage somebody. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I have no idea why people still do the the thing with um, texting according to your cell phone provider. The cost of a text. Who even pays for a text anymore? Just give them out for free. Send somebody an encouraging text. As soon as their, as soon as their name pops in your head, just pick up your phone and send them a text message. Hey man, thinking about you. You're not lying. You might not be thinking much about them, but you thought about them. You're like trying to figure out, is, am I thinking about them enough to actually send a text? Just send it. Thinking about you. Hope your day is going all right. I encourage you. God is for you. Ooh, I'm going to have to take a nap. That was tough. That cost, man, wow. A good thing I got an unlimited text plan. That could have cost 20 cents to encourage that person. And we know we can't afford that. Be generous in the moment. The second thing, encouraging words never require perfection. We've We've bounced in and out of this. Jesus was, or Peter was not perfect and would never be perfect. He would soon be trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling his purpose and would later even deny, deny him. How about we start doing this? We encourage people past their sin. Encourage people past their sin. If you're waiting for every area of a person's life to line up, you will never give them an encouraging word. Husband and wives, look at me. Look at me. He will never be perfect. She will never be perfect. Get over it and compliment them. Dead silence. (laughs) Parents, look up at me. Your kids will never be perfect. Encourage them anyway. Do you know it's actually possible? I've heard this before. Well, I'm not sure I want to say anything encouraging to them because I'm afraid if I encourage them, then they'll keep, they'll think that it's a blanket encouragement for everything they do. Can I just tell you growing up that if I got straight A's, my dad said, man, good job. You got straight A's. It didn't mean I could go out and burn the house now. I had no conflicted thoughts about that. I knew I would get beat if I set something on fire, but praised if I got straight A's. I didn't go, hey, bro, we got straight A's. Let's burn the house down. We got a free ride this week. That makes no sense whatsoever. And did the God of all the universe send Jesus to die on the cross and resurrect before you could do anything good? Does he still bless you when half of your life doesn't line up? 
Does he still bring you peace when you sin the day before and sin the day after? Does he still encourage you that you're called to do according to what he's, and he's equipped you to do according to what he's called you to do? Even when you're thinking what you're thinking. He does it every day. All he uses is flawed people. And we can't get over people's flaws to give them an encouragement. Oh man. You know what I found out? My marriage gets 50% better if I just encourage my wife. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. She doesn't do anything the way I want her to. That's foolishness. Does she do a lot of things the way I like them? We're still married. Yeah. It's not that shallow. Do we differ on some things? Absolutely. Don't ever put a math problem in front of the two of us. I just figured out my head and she's an accountant. I don't show my work. And evidently real math requires you to show your work. I think that's silly. I write it down on a napkin or something. I don't need a spreadsheet. I got a calculator on my iPhone. Some of you have stopped encouraging each other because there's something, one thing you don't like. If Jesus had a kept that from Peter, it would have changed his whole outlook. Peter, well, I really want to tell you something nice, but you're going to do a couple things that I really don't like. So I really would rather hold this encouragement from you and let you figure it out. Stop encouraging people on their win or loss record. And how about we encourage them to win more? Amen. It's impossible to get people to perform better with no encouragement. I don't know if you've tried it. But criticism is not the pathway to success. <laughs> Although we all think it is. Well, if I just point that out, if I just point that out, if I just point that out, finally the people get tired of you pointing it out. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you're going to screw it all up. I know you are. No, he said, I'm giving you the keys. Oh, I trust you, Peter. I encourage you. I'm going to give you this stuff because I believe in you and I know it's going to work out even as dumb as you are. Don't do that. Peter was not perfect, would never be perfect. Can I also say this? Stop moving the bar. Stop moving the bar. Let, let me, okay, you got your kid, take out the trash. Just do what I tell you to do. They take out the trash. Then you say, well, if you clean your room up. And then they clean their room. We say, if you get better grades. Can't you just stop and celebrate they took out the trash? Stop moving the bar. Stop moving the bar. Hey, you got good grades. But your room looks like a disaster. Just compliment them on the grades. Jesus doesn't say, good job, but you're still an idiot. He doesn't talk to us that way. He didn't talk to the disciples that way. Stop moving the bar. Encourage people for what they are doing. Encur find something to encourage. Amen? Now I know, okay, all the perfectionists are going, yeah, but Peter did screw up. Don't leave that out. 
Don't leave that out. He did, he did start thinking wrong almost immediately. He did deny Jesus. He did do all that. Don't, don't you dare cover. Not everybody gets a trophy. I know what you're doing here. You're doing this little social justice thing and you're going to give everybody a trophy, make everybody feel good. No, if you know me, you know that's not true. First or second place is the first loser. I don't care what team you're on. Here's the issue. Real correction can't come without generosity. Real correction can't come without generosity. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you just correct over and over and people will tune you out. They will just shut you off. All they care about is what they want. They don't care about me. They just want, you've heard, you've said that before. You've heard people say that before. But listen, I can, I can correct people that believe that I believe in them. So the problem is we're oftentimes trying to draw money out of an account that's bankrupt. We've never put anything in it to start with. We never looked at anybody and said, man, I believe in you. You know why Peter didn't flip out when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan? Because he knew Jesus believed in him. He knew he had been encouraged enough. He knew that he wasn't snatching the keys back from him after he screwed up. I know he didn't take the keys back because even after Peter denied him, Jesus meets him on the shore and says, do you love my sheep? Feed them. Keep doing what you're doing. You messed up, but we don't have to quit. You're not off the team. So what happens is we try to correct people that we've never encouraged. Look at your kids every now and then and try encouragement without correction. Then when you have correction, they'll believe it. I said it like this. Let me back up. Anybody know that? I don't think it's so taught anymore, but... um, years ago they used to teach this leadership thing. Like if, if you've got to bring somebody in the office, you know, and say something difficult to them, you give them two good things. Kelly, I like your shirt and those are spiffy pants. But you've been terrible lately in the office. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I, I, I tell you, I used to read stuff like that. I'm, like, I'm not wired like that, dude. When you come in, if we got problems, we're just going to start there. We're just start with the problems. I mean, that's a great outfit you got on, but you're terrible. If the only time you give people compliments is before a correction, they'll never believe it. Never believe it. I said it like this. I, I wrote it down in my notes. If, if, if a hug has to come before every slap, they'll start flinching at the hug. Because they'll know the slap's coming. Did you hear that? If a hug comes before every slap, they'll start flinching at the hug because they know the slap's coming. So what you have to do is you have to separate the two. You have to give hugs with no slaps and mean it. Not be some methodical, diabolical, crazy person's like, well, I think if I start two weeks in advance with giving them compliments, then I can hammer them at the end of Friday. Are you crazy? Believe in people and they'll believe in you. So when Jesus, not too long after that, looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter doesn't go, oh my, here he goes again. No, Jesus picked Peter. Jesus believed in Peter. Jesus called Peter. And so when Jesus has to correct Peter, it's not a big deal. So figure out the people around you. 
Do they think you believe in them enough to correct them? All of Jesus' disciples, he poured his life into them. So when the correction had to come, it's not that big a deal. Set the stage. If you really believe in people, they should know it by your words. I, I, love, I love when people, leaders say this. It's a cop-out. Well, you know, if I'm not correcting you, you know there's something wrong. With you, because you're crazy. All that you say is corrective things. And if you stop correcting people, then they know that something's wrong. They already know something's wrong. You're crazy. Give them a compliment. Give them an encouragement. Give them a whole day where you don't correct them. Be generous with peace. Be generous with encouragement. And you will change the way they think. Amen. Stand to your feet. I'm going to give you three practical things. We're going to sing. We're going to participate in communion together. I think this is so fitting because we're reminded what Jesus did for us so that we can encourage others. Amen? Three practical things. Look for things to compliment. For you perfectionists, it means you have changed the way you think. You already see everything that's wrong. Start looking for something that's right. Start looking for something that's right. Look for something to compliment somebody on. Make it your goal for tomorrow. When I wake up on Monday morning, I'm going to find something to compliment them on. Even if you have to say it through your teeth. Or, or think you really did a good job on that. And if you're patient with me, I'll get better at this. Wow. Look for things to compliment. The second thing, call out the God things that you see in people. Man, you want to encourage somebody, start saying you see God in them. That's what Jesus said. Man, this didn't come from you. This came from my Father in heaven. He put it in you. Start calling it out of people. Man, I see. I think God's called you to that. I think God's in you. I can see him working in you. Find stuff to encourage people and then call the God things out. And then the third thing, use encouragement as a path for improvement. Stop with everything having to be negative. Use encouragement to cause people to change the way they think. And here's the thing. In the hyperbolic negative society and world that we live in, where everything is an opportunity to hammer somebody, we have an opportunity to change our culture, to change the way we think, to change the way people think. And the church can walk out from here and they can say, man, you know what? I, I just, I work with this person and I heard they went, they just really encourage me. They bring peace into my life. And you could change the way people think. I'd love us to do that, amen? Let's be, let, let's be a church that likes giving good words to people. We can change our community with those words. Father, we thank you this morning. God, you gave us so much. Out of the abundance of what you gave us, Lord, we pray that we'd be able to freely give to others. Freely give them encouragement. Freely give them peace. Freely give them a kind word. And Lord, I, help, I pray that you'd help us to do that, especially to the people closest to us. It's difficult at times, Lord. But I pray that you'd loosen our lips for the people we love the most. That we would be able to encourage our spouses. We'd be able to encourage our close friends. We'd be able to encourage our kids. Lord, let your peace flow from our lips to other people's ears without reservation. Let us be reckless when it comes to encouraging 
others. And we pray, Lord, in this turmoil that we live in, we can shine a light on your grace and mercy that you gave us. Thank you for it today, Lord. And we give you honor and praise because of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. And amen.